So hello everyone and welcome to another episode streaming live of uh, MotoGP podcast last on the breaks. As you know, this season is a little bit different. We're here with you live on Twitch right now. And then those of us, those of you rather joining us in audio format a little bit later across podcast platforms, you're still very much involved. My name is Fran Wild and alongside me as ever in 2022 is Elliot York. Hello, Elliot. Um, and hello, really how are you? This time. We're not too far apart. I'm good. How are you? <laughs> I'm all good. Yeah, a little bit tired still from uh, from the weekend just gone. Those 1am alarm clocks here in Barcelona never go down too well, but it was a good weekend, wasn't it? So yeah, I'm all good, just about recovered um, and looking forward to today's show and then the weekend off and then obviously the Americas, sorry, the Argentina GP and the double header. So yeah, full steam ahead. Double America's delight, exactly. So Argentina and America's <laughs> coming up next. But we thought after the first couple of races of the season, and of course, pre-season testing, we would welcome a different guest today in the form of our in-house maestro, Simon Crafer, who will <laughs> be joining us to debrief a little of what we've seen so far. Uh, and those of us, those of you, I keep saying us, I'm here, of course, you can see me or hear me. Uh, those of you who are joining us on Twitch, Feel free in the chat to add any comments, questions, anything else, including for Simon or indeed for me and Elliot. Hello, Simon. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing? You feeling fresh? Uh, ah, I would be exaggerating if I said fresh. Same uh, <laughs> problem as Elliot. The time, the time difference. Just, you know, the first night yep. uh, back, so tired that you sleep. And then uh, last night, I didn't. I was back on Indonesian time. And apparently Matt Dunn and also Neil Neil Morrison. I was talking to them this morning. They had the same problem. But anyway, it's uh, another day or two. We'll be back to normal, ready to go to. America. I had all of my I had all of my press stuff done by eight thirty this morning. I was up before dawn. I was full gas. I was absolutely on it. And then late morning, I was feeling the pain a little bit. But we're all here. We've made it. Four p.m. European <laughs> time is when we're live. If any of you are in the same time zone as us, uh, and very much looking forward to Argentina, all of us, I'm sure. But not looking forward to rewinding that time zone to the opposite way. But we'll see how we go. So, Simon, obviously, we're going to debrief a little bit of the races we've seen so far and the form we've seen so far. First of all, just First comments, what did you make of our first ever Indonesian GP at Mandalika? Of course, we have had an Indonesian GP before. Okay, uh, first things, I didn't know you were going to ask me that, but first things that leap out at <laughs> just me. Just nothing too unbelievable. Just... No, 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 just what are the things that hit me about Indonesia in general. Um, unbelievable, beautiful place where the track is. Uh, it has to be... The most beautiful, you know, uh, there's Phillip Island and Mugello that are the the normal leaders. But I think this one even say, snookers it. It's a controversial know. call, that is. Yeah, I mean, those three are always great to go to if they're good weather, you know. Um, uh, meaning Phillip Island on a bad day is pretty harsh. Uh, but, <laughs> yeah, the, the next thing is track layout. Unbelievable good. Uh, I genuinely would love to ride it. Uh, those big fast turns that the riders are talking about, I love. Um, that's what uh, makes me think of Phillip Island, the, the 200 kilometer an hour corners that every rider loves because they're such a challenge um, that you fail for such a long time when you get them right uh, and you don't fall off. They're the most rewarding, you know. So there's that. 
what else? Um, shame about the hiccups with the asphalt, asphalt in general because it it made an impression with a lot of especially people watching that it didn't deserve, you know. So, and I don't know if uh, all the listeners know what happened, but basically, to cut a long story short, some of the wrong stone got mixed in with the mix, you know, and that was too brittle and, and popped and turned turned to sand. And uh, yeah, which is a real shame because the guys that laid it did an incredible job, apparently two Aussies, and um, it was billiard table the whole way around, beautiful. Yeah, so the, the facility in general, um, it's going to be all redone the surface for next year apparently and uh then it's going to be one of the one of the top places to go you know with that layout and beautiful place i think everyone will be looking forward to it the only that only the heat makes you not look forward to it as a rider this is the thing i can't imagine how you survived in pit lane either i was in the media center building and largely survived with a lot of aircon so absolute incredible prayers for all of you guys who were outside so much and the riders out on track as well it was so hot and so humid but we will get on to miguel Oliveira's win as a first little talking point but we did have a question in the chat i think it was from alvlu88 who asked you on Twitch now, do you think it could be a turning point in his career after it's been a bit of a tougher start to this season for him? Obviously, we've seen him on the top step before, but do you think digging himself out of what was a little bit of a difficult 2022 could be a good springboard? I don't think just the win will do that. It's going to help, you know, um, put him in a good frame of mind. But since that injury uh, coming back from the summer break, in Austria, it, it kind of headed that way, confidence-wise and um, and also team-wise. You know how we've been saying KTM got a little bit lost at the end of last year, for want of a better word. Um, Hardware-wise, you know, throwing different parts of the bikes all the time. We were calling it musical chassis, you know. The, every time I've been pit lane, there'd be another one, they're all back to the old one. Or um, I don't think Miguel's injury and losing the confidence and losing his way a little bit helped the KTM because uh, he's the KTM problem because he's the leader of that group. You know, he's the most experienced rider uh, in MotoGP. I feel like um, South you know, Africa's going to come for you now. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but I said experience, you know, it's true. Miguel's got another year on Brad and also that year Miguel had, although it wasn't a good uh, a nice KTM to ride when the year that Miguel rode it, he got a full season, you know, on that bike ride, apart from his injury, sorry. Um, he got to ride all the tracks, you know, on the championship where Brad got that shorter one and then another shorter, you know, European one. Uh, so Miguel is the most experienced rider. So what I'd like to say is Miguel getting lost at the end of last year, uh, confidence-wise after the injury, helped i think ktm get lost now they've regrouped they've been coming back before sunday step by step by step and miguel was fast at the last two events when you look behind the fastest lap times when you look at race pace and miguel has been coming back you know and uh i think he was going to do all right even in the dry so and then it turned wet he did an amazing first couple of laps and uh, 
and then held on to it the whole way, did an amazing race. It's not the first time we've seen Miguel, like I said uh, in the interview, post-race interview to him, uh, you know, he just reminded everyone of his class, you know, of his, what he can do. And he's done it some brilliant rides in the past at Moto2, um, also at MotoGP in the last couple of years to win or get second in Mugello uh, last year. So I think he's just reminding us all of his class and he's back and KTM's back, you know, or at least close to. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it shows the brutal nature now of MotoGP, doesn't it, that someone of the calibre of Miguel Oliveira can have sort of a, a few months of not picking up very good results and he sort of gets pushed off to the side by, not by his team, of course, or anyone else, but just sort of gets forgetting about, uh, forgotten about, sorry. Boy, and then he comes into, yeah, by t- and then in 2022, KTM and Miguel have shown just what, what they're all about. And Miguel's ride on... Sunday at Mandalika was, well, it was perfect, wasn't it? It was, didn't put a foot wrong, got to the front and looked untouchable. One of my, well, actually my favourite quote of the whole weekend um, was Juan Zarco, post-race interview, how he said uh, that Jack Miller and Miguel Oliveira on those first couple of laps, you know, with no practice in the wet, the pace they yeah. set straight off the bat was um i can't remember his exact word but it was like uh, equivalent of class he was like and hey, this is moto gp you know like yeah he i loved his honesty he was even uh genuinely impressed at the pace they were setting those first couple of laps and he was as fast once he had a few laps were you on mute fran <laughs> Mute? How am I on mute? I'm back. Um, I was gritting my teeth a little bit in the in watching the first few laps of that race. Obviously, the start in the wet always a little bit trickier, but especially the pace those guys were going just seemed incredible compared to some of the others. And some riders who've shown really good wet weather form before as well. You know, there's no one, uh, no slouch on the grid, but especially some guys who took a little bit longer to get in that groove. Zarco would be one of them. By the end of the race, he was him and Fabio were both really giving it some gas, weren't they but we'll we can segue that into ktm in general because it was a bit of a quieter pre-season i kept using the word coy because they seem to not want to go into too much detail i mean so many factories just try and you know give you the absolute minimum detail with everything they're working on but ktm especially there weren't any kind of bold time attacks in pre-season it was kind of seeing where they're going to end up once they're the lights go out for racing and so far they've won and come second they're leading the team standings for the first time ever with red bull ktm factory racing and they're now leading the constructors and in the riders championship with brad binder despite that ride height device malfunction he seems to have suffered in mandalika he's only two points off the top of the riders title it's going pretty well for them like you say francesco guidotti was very keen to point out in pre-season that they are just testing everything because they've got too many things and kind of didn't have a clear direction towards the end of last season do you think they've got a clearer direction now simon for 2022 okay um i think uh francesco is telling you the truth from what i saw from pit lane and reported during uh, the test is you could see that they were going through everything um, and getting clear data 
clear information for for all the guys behind the scenes can see you know uh they've got proof of what each part does and um so they've built up this um data and then put everything together as best they can to have the most competitive machine they can and it looks like it's working they've got a new um top engineer um i want to say fabiano it is a fabiano is his name right i have not haven't I'm got not to meet sure him but they've got a head. top engineer sure. that they've that they've uh basically taken from ducati he he's uh, stopped with Ducati some years ago and they've taken him on and um, they've kind of looks like they've uh, rethought how they approach the the engineering side of MotoGP you know uh, which is clever because they made it 90% of the way and the last bit they've been struggling you know to and so they've taken on someone who has had got a lot of experience engineer wise at working in MotoGP and they've got a, a team manager who is who specializes in getting the most out of people and keeping a happy camp and uh I think most of us that know Francesco Guidotti team manager now uh like him he's, he's really good at that and so they're putting all this together you know the engineers the hardware um all the data the team manager to squeeze the last bit out of everything you know and I think that they are really making some headway. I don't think they're all the way there, but but the proof that they're heading the right direction is Brad in the dry at Qatar got second at a bogey track of theirs, and then sat in um, all the pre uh, post race interviews and um, said that the bike turns better and accelerates off the turn better, gets grip, and they're the two complaints he's been, you know going on about and brad is really professional so he doesn't complain a lot but they're the two things he's mentioned consistently over the last two years he's been riding the bike and they've made steps forward with it so they are heading the right way it's a question i want to know the answer to as well and we've had it in the chat from hacky 789 can ktm generally fight for the title this year the rider's title that is and then, of course, the champ, uh, constructors and teams. I, from the from the start of the season they had, I think they absolutely can, um, because it, there's not really a clear bike or rider who's pulling ahead. Because there's, I think, the top nine are split by ten points in the championship. So, can KTM fight for the championship? Oh, that's a hard one. This year was the question as well. That's a hard one. Um, yeah, I. I mean, I am not holding my breath. I know that is uh, might sound ne- negative to the big KTM fans, Brad Binder fans, Miguel Oliveira fans. The reason I say that is until now, there's like at the end of last season, there was only four guys I kept going on about that were consistently excellent and they were on uh, machines that could l- allow them to do it, you know, and that was... Uh, Fabio, obviously, um, Banyaya, Mark Marquez, and uh, one of my favourites, um, Juan Mir. And those guys, every time they got out there, were um, they got the best out of what they had, and they were there every time. Race distance, um, you know, the, the the pace they could set on race tyres. And until I see that 
from the KTM boys, being there every race. You know, sure, you're going to have bad luck like Brad did on the weekend. Um, until I see it, you you know, happening, you can't count them in, count them in in that group, you know. And they have the ability to. We, everyone knows Miguel has. Everyone knows Brad has the ability. Um, they, they've just shown it in the first two races. But Mark Marquez always says it, and that is, at your bad races, you have to be still just near the podium, you know, just on or just off the podium. And that's what Mark says you have to do to win the championship. And he's right, meaning a fifth or, a, you know, Mark would get third still on his bad days, you know, tracks that he didn't like or the bike didn't work particularly well. So until we see that from the KTM bikes and riders, I have to be honest and say, not yet, not yet, you know, but I believe they can. I sincerely do. Okay, well, that's an interesting one, certainly. And going from Binder to Binder, then, we'll segue again. Uh, we were going to talk about this anyway, but also from either Niall or Neil. Sorry, some people changed the pronunciation of that. <laughs> Farley in the chat wanted to know about Darren Binder's top 10. Now, obviously, it was going to be a top eight until a little bit of brotherly love uh, right on that final lap. How difficult is that? Not only as a rookie, first race in the wet, but also having made that huge leap from Moto3 to MotoGP, is it, does it make it easier in the rain? Obviously, the Yamahas all seem to find some really, really good grip out there in Mandalika in the heat. It seemed like it was, well, they were, what, five, six seconds off dry pace in the wet. It was unbelievable. Um, but yeah, how difficult is that, what Darren did on Sunday, and how impressive is it? Um, he did an awesome job. And I'm so pleased for him because uh, both he and the team have copped a lot of flack, especially on social media. And they're about Darren moving up there. Oh, he doesn't deserve it. Um, I have to go one step further and say um, respect to Raslan and that team for, for again, uh, being kind of astute businessman, which is a risk taker, uh, you know, to put Darren on the bike, you know, to go and because he saw something in the guy and I saw it as well. And that's why I've been trying to stick up for, for Darren, because I think he does have something, you know, and not just on the bike that I've seen, but off the bike. When you talk to him, he, I've been saying it in for a, a few times that he's more clever, more caring, more observant than his image uh, shows, you know what I mean? When, when you meet him in person, I'm sure you guys know what I mean. Um, but yeah, getting back, sorry, I've got to remind you, do you remember Raslan and this team also took the risk on Fabio Quattararo? And I mean, look what he's done. He's changed the face of the <laughs> sport, you know? And uh, a lot of people said the same thing to them and on social media when Fabio even riders, you know, uh, when Fabio got the opportunity and he, Fabio ran with it, you know. So, yeah, I think uh, it's time for the uh, doubters to back off a little bit, you know, and give the kids some space and let him, and also Raslan, he's still getting a hard time about taking on Darren. I, I can't believe it. Um, so the thing is, wet always 
levels the playing field a little bit. It's a, more about confidence and feel and than it is about uh, how, how do you put it? The, you know, they have being on the best machine, best machine set up. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Nobody's had any time in full wet and he got out there and did a great job. Also, where, where there is a bit more about being flowing and he'll still be learning the style on a MotoGP bike that you've got to use in the dry, but it'll be less of that in the wet. You can, you know, you basically got to keep your corner speed up a little bit more than you would in meaning flow, you know, and use the whole track and uh, because you haven't got enough grit to do the, the being the turn like you do so much on a, uh, and stop start and being aggressive like you can in the dry. So I'd like to finish on saying Darren has a heap to learn and, uh, I'm not going to be biased in that I'll say it when I think he's done something wrong or needs to learn something, but there is absolutely no doubt he's got loads to learn. He's just come from Moto3. He never had that time in Moto2 where I say, and my saying is he kind of knocks the rough edges off a Moto3 rider, smooths, smooths them out and shows them you can't get away with that, you know? So he's got all that to learn. He's only had two races on the bike, a few tests. He's got a lot to learn, but so far he's doing himself and the team proud. I think just one more thing on Darren specifically, but also the whole of the fields. They had the sighting lap and then on the grid and then the warm-up lap, and then they're straight into the race in those sort of conditions. To put him like... For me, that was ride of the season from Darren Binder, obviously because he's a rookie, finished nine seconds ahead of the next best rookie. Um, but to go out, all of them to go out and put in the sort of pace, especially the leading guys as well, without any wet practice on a brand new track, it just shows how good these guys are in MotoGP, doesn't it? Yeah, amazing. Um, I don't know if you noticed, but a few of the faster boys that did the faster times right at the beginning were the ones that made two uh sighting laps you know they got out there early got an extra one in and uh that gives you a bit more feel you know i think it was frankie carcetti who i saw after the race and he said he needed to check a couple of them but he said he thought the top finishers or the guys who were fastest out the blocks were the guys who'd elected to do that extra sighting lap personally i don't understand why you wouldn't that was my (laughs) yeah yeah you did yeah exactly um, if you have so the chance to, to do that extra off, lap, surely you'd always take it. Sorry, go on, time. I think we have a little bit of no, delay between delay, Barcelona yeah, and yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, so look, it's not going to go like this all year for Darren. You know, what he did was amazing. Um, the Yamaha obviously worked there, and it doesn't normally in the rain, but the grip of that surface was uh, phenomenal. And I think that helped mask the Yamaha's problem in the wet. Um, But all I'd like to say is the kid has got something. He really has. And give him a break, give him some time. I hope that he, uh, by mid-season, kind of understands how he's supposed to ride a MotoGP bike. And then we really see a couple of uh, results in the dry. Uh, like this, you know, I think he's capable of it. Well, that sounds yeah, pretty exciting. Hopefully we'll we'll get to see, yeah, a bit more from the rookies as they learn their way through the bike and kind of get up to speed a bit more. But then again, we'll do another segue. This time we'll go to Fabio. Like you said, 
Yamaha has struggled a little bit more in the wet recently, but the surface at Mandalika seemed to offer so much grip in the, the wet conditions that we had on Sunday. I think it's also almost a little bit of showing the naysayers from Quartararo as well, because obviously I think we looked back, didn't we, Elliot? And it was Le Mans was the only other wet race we could really find. And obviously it was a real uphill struggle for, uh, I think at the time it was Quartararo, Vinales and Mia who were all struggling a little bit in those conditions in France. Yeah. Wildly different temperature, of course, um, at Le Mans. But do you think that was also a real statement ride? In Park Ferme, Quattararo seemed to really celebrate it like it was almost a win to get that second place in the wet. Yeah, uh, to answer your question, I definitely think that the track layout helped hide Yamaha's, you know, speed deficit, you know, so... I think we're going to see Fabio suffer more at tracks where the engine's more important, more than at Mandalika, like he suffered in Qatar. You're going to see that in tracks, especially like Austria. He's going to be in big trouble there. Um, but other places that the engine, I don't think we'll see him go as well as he did um, at places like Mugello, uh, Catalonia. I think he's going to suffer more than he did last year, you know, because everybody else's machines have taken a step forward speed-wise and his hasn't. So it's the uh, logical thing, conclusion, you know. So, uh, yeah, and the just to repeat, the, the, the Yamaha woes in the wet, I think, were masked by the grip level of the track because that is their weakness in the wet. They keep spinning up. They haven't got rear grip. Can't put temperature in. The, the team keeps saying, uh, in the rear tyre. I remember at Le Mans asking uh, team manager, Mar uh, Mayo Marigali, what happened to you guys in the wet? And he goes, none of the riders can keep temperature in the rear tyre. You know, all of them suffered. And then they didn't at Mandalika. To me, it's just the grip level of the track. And as soon as we're going to get wet, somewhere lower grip, uh, that problem is going to come back until they figure out what it was. It felt like a massive result for Fabio, obviously, because of Qatar's, I won't call it quite a disaster because he still picked up some points. But for a reigning world champion to go to Qatar a year after he'd won um, at the sale to finish ninth was a heavy blow. Um, and like you say, I think they are going to continue to struggle a bit, especially at tracks like Austria. Um, so it felt like a massive result um, at the right time. And I think the circumstances definitely helped. What do you reckon? Would he, would he have won in the dry, do you reckon? Because he, he looked good all weekend. And like I say, the circuit suited the Yamaha hands down, didn't it? Yeah, you can't say whether he definitely win in the dry because there's so many yeah. uh, possible, you know, ways to make a mistake, you know, get bumped off on the first lap or... But his... I mean, he was the favourite for everybody. Even the the opposition knew to stop him was going to be really hard. Um, and he did a big number of laps on the tyres and uh, on the soft. It was fast on it. The Ducati guys basically thought the only way to stop him is get the start and hinder him, you know, keep mm -hmm. holding him up, you know, if, if a few of them yeah. could do that and uh, hold, stop him from running away because that's what he had the capability to do. So I think, yeah, Fabio was a favourite to win in the dry as well. So he would have taken a lot of stopping. There was basically Fabio, Binder, and three Ducatis were my bet for 
the podium fight, you know. And uh, f- if Fabio got away, it was the rest of them scrapping for the second and third. Okay, that's interesting then. So Ducati was the other talking point that we wanted to cover with you from Mandalika and also sort of the start of the season. Obviously, in November, especially at the Jerez test after in Valencia, we'd had the first all Ducati podium, I think, in the MotoGP era. Jerez test, they looked again like they were just head and shoulders above the rest. They've got everything figured out. Then a little bit rockier road for them in Sepang and at the Mandalika test as well. And in the end, we've got a bit of a surprise situation with such a difficult start to the season, especially for Peko and Jorge Martin. Obviously, Zarco put in that wet weather performance incredibly in Mandalika. Jack Miller had that issue in Qatar. We've maybe not seen um, their full capability yet. But what do you make of those struggles for those two guys, especially to start the season? Because Peko, I think, would have been a huge favourite for so many fans watching for the title this year. And it's just been a really rough start for him so far in 2022. It um, that's a really good question, Fran, and one that I think is going around in most people's head is how can Ducati finish the season so strong and then start it so weak right now, you know? And um, I think it, the proof is the Bastianini win, and that the old bike's more sorted, uh, and uh, Ducati have seem to have mucked it up for themselves you know they've got two really good guys in the factory team that should have been fighting for wins at both those first races um Banyaya has dropped out of that consistent excellent four that i was talking about by having mm-hmm. average results in the first two and i think it's all down to you know uh, i had a bit of a bing um couple of nights ago trying to figure out what it is and you know how Banyai has been complaining about too many changes on the bike and developing and testing remember and he lost his confidence a bit which I think he's telling the truth I don't think he's um, making that up or trying to make an excuse and then I thought what is it why you know I, I just took him at face value when he said that. And I went, yeah, that makes sense because a lot of the factory guys have too much to test. And a lot of riders, well, a certain percentage of riders like having the same bike. It's good for all riders, but some are more sensitive than others. Meaning, uh, a good example, Norik Abe, if he hated changing the bike. He wanted to ride, I was a Zolan stick. I didn't, didn't get to try anything new because he went, no, no, I just want to ride it, you know. And knowing what the <laughs> bike does was w- worth more to him than it being different, even if it was slightly better, you know. Uh, so he hated changing the bike. And obviously I thought, okay, Peko is uh, sensitive on that and he's lost the confidence, that last bit of feel to ride right on the edge like these boys need to. And then I thought, hold on, they've – only changed the engine, the chassis has been the same, you know, on those 22 bikes. I've seen pit lane, the bike's not been going crazy. Yeah, they put a bit more rear weight on the 22 bike in testing to try and make it hook up because it was spinning too much. You know what I think it is? I think it's them mucking around with that front ride height device that changes the bike during the lap. And he's lost confidence because of that. I really think it's it. It's a guess, but I'm, I'd am i put money on it. <laughs> like, well, that's, that's a what perfect it is because, segue. Yeah. So 
And then what first started this train of thought was they took it off, didn't they? At uh, the very first practice, FP1, I saw, hey, the, it's gone off the factory bikes. And or at least the original system that they were using it all through testing it at Qatar was gone. And then, bing, the next, uh, what was it? End of FP4, yeah. So Saturday night, I listened to the debriefs of uh, the, the one of Banyaya, and he's magically got his confidence back, you know? He's saying, mm -hmm. oh, it's the first time since the last year I can feel what the front's doing and I'm confident. I think this device has... Uh, Ducati have shot themselves in the foot, you know, coming up with it and taking away. I shouldn't be laughing, but I'm a little <laughs> bit anti these devices, you know. And uh, I think they've got a awesome bike. They finished the championship, and then now they've gone and tried to find something better, which with a bit of time might maybe probably will be. Uh, but it's fried the brains of their riders you know and the only one that thing seems not to be affected by it and is quite happy to keep testing it is Jorge Martin they're using him <laughs> to keep developing it and he's like fine with me <laughs> it's awesome those who are joining is it a case audio, so... I wish you could have just seen what Simon did with the full gas yeah. facial expression there <laughs> but sorry Elliot but that's Jorge say? isn't it he just <laughs> <laughs> just before we move on to the ride height discussion because obviously they were uh, banned this week weren't they is it simon is it a case of ducati slightly overthinking or overdoing it in pre-season with the new bike i know technology constantly has to continue and the bikes continually have to get quicker because obviously they want to win the championship but as bastianini showed in qatar the 2021 bike is still arguably the best bike on the grid it's hard to say which bike's the best but um, it's a very, very good bike. Is it a case of overthinking it or have they just got a little bit, like you say, um, muddled up with stuff and a bit confused and they just need to go back to the drawing board a little bit? Well, it, it's an easy mistake to make. Um, you know, there's two things that really change and that is the engine, the 22 engine. Um, that needed time for them to sort out. It still does. Uh, Marini... Martin, uh, well, basically the two Pramac riders and Marini have stayed on that 22 engine and they're still developing it, which I should throw in at this point is why I think Zarco was struggling um, to overtake. He could keep the pace, but he couldn't overtake because he was losing. He said it and you could see it. He was losing off the turns. Um, he could make a little bit up and keep entry and keep it flowing. But if someone's behind him, he couldn't use the drive to you've got to use the engine to get close so you don't have to take such a risk on the brakes especially in the wet but it's wet and dry i think the 22 engine was causing him hassles in the wet it was spinning up you know so he was lacking drive off the turns i think if zaka was on a 21 bike he'd have uh got away and and given miguel more of a hassle you know so they're still developing that 22 engine and so Ducati of uh, trying to take a step forward of kind of taking a step back, you know, with that engine, yeah. but also with the ride height device. Um, look, I'm only, this is only my opinion from watching, but uh, I try and watch really close and I think this is what's happening. And then with the front device, they haven't taken into account how sensitive 
riders can be and their confidence is confidence is everything if you do something to the bike that takes away a bit of that because let's face it the most important thing a rider feels is through the handlebars front forks to the front tire that is the most sensitive thing i would say throttle connection and rear comes after that you know and they are mucking around with an area that isn't there that to me is you can feel two millimeters like really if someone changed even one millimeter of ride height at the front so yeah one millimeter because if you put one turn of preload on the front you know it. you you can feel it the bike rides in a different place uh turns differently so if you're talking about 35 mil at the front that this ride height device does that is a massive impact on what the rider feels and can also affect confidence and i think that's what's happened with peco at least maybe jack that's too. pretty interesting then because um especially we've seen peco seem to be that kind of rider almost a little bit like jorge lorenzo was on the ducati where when everything's in line and it clicks it's just like unbeatable poetry and just everything looks like just no one in the world is going to be able to stop him everything just looks like it's just perfection on wheels almost so that is a really interesting point and we should talk about obviously this week we got news that the grand prix commission for i think it's next season is banning the front ride height devices that change i think as well the bike is in motion was the official wording or when the mm. bike is moving so you're allowed the whole shot device off the the start but now won't be any more movement on the front what do you make of that simon do you think it's a positive and uh yeah, what what do you think about we're going to lose that technology then from next season? What do you think we might see in its place? Well, the reason I uh, well, a couple of reasons I don't like it, and I think they've done the right thing, is because like with the rear devices, once Ducati makes one, everybody's got to go away and develop their own, and it's a lot of money. And it's a lot of testing and it's a lot of thinking for the rider and it's another button to push when I really think there's a safety um, effect because uh, for two reasons, some of the tracks are getting too, the bike's getting too fast for the tracks. And some of those are old school beauties that I don't want us to lose, Magello being one of them. And it is gorgeous to ride. And I'll be, I will cry when they take it off the calendar or especially for or they bulldoze that last section you know make it flat you know the front straight it's one of the best sections yeah. i've ridden in my life is it truly amazing and i've ridden it on the fastest bikes you can buy you know so meaning not a gp bike 300 kilometers an hour you're leaned over front's coming up you're doing a wheelie at 300 kilometers an hour leaned over <laughs> and nothing makes your hair stand up like that it's awesome so <laughs> These devices are making the bikes go so fast because when that back drops, um, every rider that's tried it with or without tells me it's like the engine is being held back by the wheelie control because the thing will wheelie, but dropping in it cuts the wheelie right back because the engine is lower, lower center gravity. And it's like the engine can add 30 more horsepower and accelerate much harder without it wheeling. So they said it just goes. It's why Juan and uh, Juan Mir and Alex couldn't compete a lot of the tracks at the front at the beginning of last year without it. Then they're back. Wife's leaving, letting me know. Um, going <laughs> to get my daughter, our daughter. Um, so 
I know we got I got a bit off track there, but I wanted to tell you the whole story why, and that is the bike's getting too fast. If you take the devices away, we'll be able to go to Modelo and other beautiful tracks longer. And what's more important, you know? And the riders and teams are spending so much time on the devices. They already spend too much time on electronics and not enough time on machine setting, which is what a motorbike racing is about, is setting bike setup and who can use the tires the best and make the, the rider the most confident. They spend a heap of time on electronics, which takes away from their focus on bike setup. And then now you've got these devices that they've got to spend a lot of money, a lot of time to develop for what? If you got rid of all of them, We'll be able to go to the tracks a lot longer. You still have great fights. And so you save money. But also, the rider's effort on the bike, it's not a car. You, you, don't, you don't have to sit there. I know that cars have a lot of Gs and they're tiring. But you're not going to fall out when you take your thumb off to push a button. You are on a motorbike, you know. Like, it's these guys are going from one side to the other they're hanging off trying to push buttons and as they come onto straights i don't think it's a positive and so obviously the powers that be feel the same and they're they're banned at the end of this year the, the front devices to be fair i suppose on the guys that are developing it this year um but they can only use it this year then i've heard that 24 all of them are van, banned and uh, I imagine that they had to do a deal with Ducati to get them to agree, and they wanted another year. You know, I, I can imagine something like that to get everyone to agree. We've had this device. We've de designed it. We've spent all this money on it. We want to be able to use it for one more year before we throw it in the rubbish. So as I understand, it's 24 that uh, the rear's banned as well, which... Again, I don't think is you're not going to see it on street bikes, so it's not you know because you know I spoke to a few mechanics who are engineers, clever guys, and they are full belief in that this is not safe. You are mucking around like happened actually. This our conversations were before Binder on the weekend. He got away with it in the wet, but in the dry, you're talking about a structural part of the motorcycle is changing and can fail you know so you know the linkage to the rear shock uh, the the rods to the linkage for the rear shock are changeable that's what drops the if you go into a really fast corner and that fails and drops down you can't get around that corner and there's a real good argument on safety for that and that's how i feel let's just have yeah safety is paramount isn't it good racing yeah Safety is paramount, isn't it? And the MotoGP bikes don't need to be any quicker than they are because they're already ferociously fast. Um, and in the past, we've obviously had great racing without them. So if there's a safety issue, which they clearly think there is, um, and there obviously is with um, top speeds increasing and et cetera, um, it's completely the right thing to do. Hats off to Ducati for coming up with the idea. And the technology is great to see. I'm sure you agree, Simon, because you, you love your tech. Um but yeah, I think it's the right decision in terms of safety for sure. And I don't think the show necessarily needs it, like you say, because we've had so many years of great racing without them. Um, so I don't think there'll be a huge miss if, they're all, if they Definitely all disappear not. next year is just the front end. If anything, without them, because Ducati's two years ahead of everyone, it is more likely that it closes up 
you know, the fight without them because the others don't have as good uh, a device as you know what I mean? That'd be my guess. Yeah. So it's not it's not going to get further apart. That is true. Yeah, that's an interesting point, actually. Yeah. Um, but you can understand, like you said, if there have been those discussions behind the scenes when one manufacturer who's poured so much into it uh, wouldn't want that to immediately disappear. But uh, yeah, we'll see what happens with that then. But I think that must be more or less the... Uh, the end of our debrief of the first bit of the season with you, Simon. Thank you for joining us. I've just noticed how long we've been going. Amazing conversation, but we're like 50 minutes deep now. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Final, is there anything else you'd like to say whilst you're here before we let you go? Um, I think we're missing a big topic. Head, no. Oh, yes, a we're big not topic. Discussed, um, Maybe it's the same a one. massive topic. <laughs> uh, Mark Marquez. Oh yes, ah, of course. Yeah, the biggest that was the topic. other big one. You're right. They're <laughs> the both great. So all. before we go, we've got to just also discuss when the championship settles down. You know, when we come back to Europe. Mm. So you far away. What what what's next? There's those two things we have to touch on. I mean, yeah, the Mark thing was the biggest talking point of the weekend, wasn't it? The two crashes in qualifying for me were typical Mark Marquez tra- crashes we've seen in the past. He's pushing all out in qualifying. Front end goes, he can't save it, gets back up, but back to the box. Um, but yeah, the Sunday morning warm-up crash was uh, something else. I think it's the biggest I've ever seen. Uh, I know, Simon, you were racing in the 500 era, and a lot of people have obviously watched the 500 era, and it's, some described it as like the typical 500cc, two-stroke, high-side sort of thing. It was, yeah, it was nasty, wasn't it? So, um, well, there's been a heap of talk. I mean, social media is full of it. I can't <laughs> believe how people, um, everyone wants a, I mean, Mark causes so much, you know, uh, debate, doesn't he, you know? <laughs> but everybody feels free to decide what they're sure that he needs to back off or he needs to retire or he needs to do something. It's Mark. And... If he decides to back off, he won't be Mark anymore. And I firmly believe if he's going to back off, he should retire and let someone else have a go, you know, because there's a lot of boys that want the biggest opportunity in their life, and that's to ride MotoGP, you know. So, uh, I mean, it's his decision in the end, and I love how he rides, you know. I'm not a huge fan of Mark off the bike, but I sure am on the bike. He's he's awesome. <laughs> and as Matt Burt said, box office. And not yeah. just the crashes, just how he how hard he pushes. He looks for that last little bit everywhere. It's just so nice to watch. Um, and really, he was doing what he does on rubber that he hadn't ridden on for a long time. The bike's not made for, and he got caught out, you know? And... It really, Mark pushes the limit, you know, arguably more than anyone else. So that's why he got caught out. But I love that he does push it, you know. And I think back on the other rubber, if he can hopefully get his vision back and back on the other rubber on his new bike, uh, I think he's still going to stir the championship up. And he's still, I wouldn't be surprised if he comes back and he's still fighting for the championship at the end of the year. You know, so I don't want him to stop. So 
Anyway, well, let's hope we back do off. see Mark back on track soon. And yeah, I mean, if he's not able to compete in the Argentina and America's GPs, that's a bit of a dent in a couple of tracks that normally you wouldn't bet against him taking 50 points home from those two. Uh, so we'll have to see. But yeah, of all people, my dad messaged me that on uh, on Sunday in Mandalika. And I said, well, I don't know how you think you win eight world championships if it's not pushing to <laughs> the limit. And 95% of the time, or maybe 93% of the time, to be uh, topical, uh, if walking that limit brings you, you know, some of the greatest success we've ever seen on two wheels, it's not really an incentive to back off and change how you are and fundamentally almost who you are when you're a rider and a competitor like Marquez, I would argue. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Obviously, we all wish him the absolute best and hope to see him back on track as soon as we can. But uh, yeah, it is funny, isn't it? It's, it's a classic social media thing when now everyone is now a, a neurosurgeon uh, and everyone I'm, also understands understand. how to ride a bike on the limit. <laughs> I understand why people are saying, oh, he needs to back off because it's he, he's he's hurting himself, you know. But if he the reason he has the success he has had is he finds that little bit of time. That's why he's always searching and pushing the limit. And if he stops that, he will no longer have the success. And what's the point of continuing, you know? So to me, he's either got to, he's got to decide. He wants to keep going, keep going how he is because he's the master. He's unreal. And he got caught out, I think, on the weekend, not all of his own fault. It's a combination of what was going on and his way of approaching things you know but all i'm saying is he's got to keep going the same to have the results otherwise there's no point continuing you know sorry hey the other one guys can we talk about i know we need to cut is the championship is you know how people always say it doesn't settle down till we get back to europe a few races in we'll know uh who the the main contenders are and we'll know who's strong and who's going to keep going and I was wondering why, why do we always say that? And it's just come true again, you know, we've done Qatar and some of the most competitive people, teams and riders didn't make a showing in Qatar. And uh, I think the Suzuki's didn't because of fuel, fuel, they've made more power. I think they're using a bit more fuel, the engineers, from another team were telling me that when you make a step in horsepower, you use more fuel. And then you work on improving that, lowering friction. A lot of it comes from oil, apparently, the friction. And so all technology trying to find a way to use the fuel they used to, but with this extra power. Suzuki turned up, they were the favorites, you know, like by a lot of riders on Saturday night and me. I thought they'd have one or two bikes on the podium and they didn't have any. And I think it was down to fuel over race distance. They, they were struggling. Qatar's one of the worst tracks on the calendar. So you're seeing things like this in the beginning. Riders and teams that are real strong, not having a result. Then we go to Mandalika. And again, the Suzuki's have a nightmare because their bikes don't, they seem to be hardest hit hardest hit with that rear tire change. And we don't see the Suzuki's doing anything in the dry. You know, Rins did a good job of managing it on Saturday. But what I'm saying is, again, the some of the strongest machines of riders on the track, we didn't see a result from. And I think you see these type of things in these away races, you know, 
And when we come back to Europe, the ones that are really strong, that we have a really good base, you know, really strong, we're going to see them float to the top. And I didn't understand why before this year, but it's happening all over again, you know. We're seeing odd results that Europe, when we get back here, we won't see as much of. Okay, well, that is... Just before you do go, Simon, sorry to put in again. One yep. more thing. We've got we've had a question from our former colleague and good friend Steve Day. He was in the chat earlier. Ooh. He said Cy looks like he's in the sauna. Um his question is what's the best food drink combo you take into a sauna, Simon? <laughs> food drink combo you take into a sauna. Um I I genuinely don't know. Uh <laughs> I have had a sauna with Steve. <laughs> uh, I introduced him to saunas because we ha I had one in my room, believe it or not, in Austria last year. I was like, wow, yeah, yeah. Steve-O, come on. <laughs> and we probably took something alcoholic in there, which you probably shouldn't do, but I did. <laughs> but yeah, we well, miss, we miss like you, Steve. Combo. We do. We and do. for an extremely niche joke for Steve that probably only Steve will understand, now for coming back and uh, getting involved in the chat there on the live, you've got to write a letter of apology to our good friend Simon. Uh, keep it nice and clean on the on the WhatsApp. We don't need you in these parts. You've, you've made your choice. But no, we absolutely love you, Steve. Thanks for joining us. Um, and yes, we uh, we do read the chat, Lightning Llama. So uh, thanks very much, everyone <laughs> who sent us a question or a comment in the chat. Uh, and thank you, everyone who's listening in audio form as well. Simon, now I think is our time. We must say goodbye to you. Thank you so much. That's an incredible almost hour of insight. We love how much you just love to keep going and talking and so excited about it. The passion shines through, um, even on the little webcam in the sauna. Uh, so, yes, thank you so much for joining us. And hopefully we'll get a chance to sit down with you again later in the season and debrief a bit more action that we've seen on track. Maybe once we are back in... <laughs> excuse me once we are back in <laughs> europe and we've seen a bit more of kind of how the uh, chess pieces will be played from now on from some of those big runners that we've not seen from yet okay i look forward to it another catch up and uh, tell you everything i've spotted and heard and think <laughs> absolutely we love Cheers, it thank you thank so you. much for joining us simon so we'll hopefully speak to you again soon and uh, yeah so those of you who are still with us, thank you so much for joining us this week. We did have a poll in the Twitch chat as well, which was, uh, what was your, uh, was it standout performance? Favourite performance was the wording, I think. Favourite performance of the And it was the so KTM. Far, yeah. It was the KTM option that came top, I think it was. So, yeah, really great stuff. Um, thank you so much, guys, for voting and for joining us. And uh, yeah, what else have we got to say, Elliot? I think we're almost debriefed with everything now so far. And we're ready for Argentina. Yeah. Yeah, not a lot, really. Um, I think just get in touch on Twitter and social media. Who who do you want as the next guest? We'll try and get um, anyone on board that we can. Uh, yeah, next one is post-Argentina. Um, and then we'll be yeah in between Argentina and Americas. And then obviously after the Americas and then... Yeah, we'll be uh, we'll be back in Europe. 
We will indeed. Um, and yeah, those of us who, those of you, I've done it again, that's three times, every single time I've tried to say that phrase. Those of you <laughs> who have joined us across the uh, podcast platforms of your choice, please do still get in touch, even though it's not live on the Twitch chat. We still very much want to hear from you. Let us know your thoughts, feelings, anything you want to ask us, anything you want to say at all with the hashtag MotoGP podcast, and we'll have a look through those. You can still get involved and enjoy it in audio format so yeah just let us know and everyone on twitch thank you very much for joining us and uh, we'll hopefully see you again soon with uh, another guest after the argentina gp cheers guys